Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast and videocast, brought to you by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico de Monterrey. I am your host, Jose Pepe Escamilla, IFE Associate Director. In this episode, I had an insightful conversation with Dr. Richard Davison, Professor of Psychology and Psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Founder and Director of the Center for Healthy Minds. We discussed COVID-19 impact on students and teachers' social and emotional health. Also, we talk about how technology, like the Healthy Minds program app, can support students' emotional health. And Richard explained what he sees as the four pillars of a healthy mind. Enjoy. Hi, Richard. Welcome to this episode of EduTrends podcast and webcast produced by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico Monterrey. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to having a conversation. Thanks. So um, uh, we will be talking about social emotional health, particularly in higher education communities. Uh, we are aware that uh, there has been some uh, increase in the issues relating to social emotional health, particularly in the students in the last couple of years. And during the pandemic, we have seen um, stress, uh, people that are working from home. Uh, I, I'm talking about faculty or collaborators, staff, but also students. And this uh, um, increased number of people in houses has also aggravated um, problems in the house, but also um, uh, isolation from the students. So during the last 20 months of the pandemic, uh, what, what challenges have we seen, have you seen, and how big is this problem? Well, uh, uh, these are important questions. Uh, uh, the, um, we know that even before the pandemic, the rates of anxiety and depression uh, were dramatically increasing among uh, our youth, among college students. Uh, in the United States today, um, actually before the pandemic, uh, student health services on university campuses reported that they were not able to hire uh, the number of mental health counselors they needed to address the crisis. And now with the pandemic, it has only become worse. Um, we know that particularly in college age youth, the rates of anxiety and depression worldwide have dramatically increased during the pandemic compared to the rates before the pandemic. And this is, uh, there was a paper that recently appeared in the British medical journal Lancet. Uh, and the data show that in every country that was examined, and this is, I think, in 204 countries throughout the world, the rates of depression and anxiety have increased during COVID compared to pre-COVID. And in many parts of the world, the rates are more than 30% uh, higher. So it's not just a small amount, but it's actually quite a significant amount in many parts of the world. 
And among college age um, students, the rates are particularly severe. Uh, and so we have a um, significant crisis uh, uh, in addition to the COVID pandemic, there is the accompanying mental health pandemic that is uh, global in nature. And uh, it's really important that we develop strategies that can help decrease the likelihood and decrease the severity of these problems uh, in this age group particularly. Thank you. Um, uh, very interesting uh, figures that you give us, 30% uh, higher the, the stress in the world, and you talk about a mental health pandemic that was there before the crisis. Uh, how can you explain the, the this mental health pandemic? Why? Well, there are many factors, I think, which are contributing to this, but the um, college students today are predicted to um, be under more significant uh, stress of various kinds compared to students uh, uh, in the previous generation. This is due to a number of causes. One is um, in most parts of the world, college students today are less likely to earn more than their parents are earning now. Um, and uh, this is a reversal of uh, trends that have been present for um, many decades. The second, uh, I think, important contributor is what's been called eco-anxiety. Uh, the climate change crisis is very significant, and um, uh, this is uh, creating a sense of hopelessness among our youth uh, because they are, uh, I think, um, research shows that they're uh, uh, unsure of how to respond to this crisis. They feel helpless in the face of this crisis. And so that further adds to the challenges and stresses that they experience. Uh, and so in addition to the usual stress of grades and um, uh, uh, their um, worrying about their future, uh, there are these added elements that are very significant and uh, are playing a really important role in uh, contributing to the uh, very high rates of anxiety and depression that we see today. Thank you. Uh, I, I, one more question around this. I, I read somewhere that uh, People are blaming also uh, social networks. What What do you think about that? You mean social media? No, the access to social networks may make people more miserable. Is uh, more or less the thing that I read. So I wanted to know your opinion on that. If uh, this uh, mental crisis that we have lived before the pandemic, uh, it's also related to uh, the way social media work. Yeah, well, there's more and more evidence to suggest that um, social media is contributing to these problems. Uh, and it's contributing to these problems because uh, of um, uh, many different factors. Uh, one is uh, uh, social comparison. 
where they might see other individuals who are seemingly more well-off or happier uh, than they are. Uh, and when they compare themselves to these other people that they see online, which half the time is likely to be an exaggeration anyway, uh, they um, uh, have feelings of uh, low self-esteem and this further contributes to the difficulties. Uh, uh, the average teenager, uh, at least in the US today, spends about nine hours in front of a screen and um, much of it is consumed by social media. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, I often say we're all participants in a grand experiment for which none of us have provided our informed consent. And uh, this is a big problem. Uh, and so in my view, we need to equip our youth with the skills that will enable them to not be hijacked by these social media. We're not gonna get rid of social media. We're not gonna get rid of the technology uh, that we can't control. There's one thing we can control, and that is our own mind. And we can teach kids the skills that they need to navigate the digital landscape in a way which is less harmful. Uh, and uh, this is urgently needed. That's um, um, great to know that we can do uh, things to avoid this. Uh, so I, I would like to go into that direction. How can we foster our students social uh, um, social emotional health? Uh, what can we do in well, higher education institutions? Part of higher education, I think, needs to include strengthening social and emotional skills, skills that enable us to regulate our minds uh, in a way that can help us to resist these distractions and to not be so hijacked by them. Um, uh, and so research shows that we can train people to be better at voluntarily regulating their attention, which is a key element of self-regulation. And by regulating one's attention, we can willfully choose what we uh, invest our attention in, rather than leaving that to uh, the uh, tech companies and social media platforms uh, who uh, are basically um, hijacking our attention. Uh, and so we can, I think, um, do a much better job in training our youth to be better uh, educated in their attention. Uh, and this is something that I think is um, critical. I believe we have a moral obligation to include that in our curricula. Uh, and it should start at a very young age. It doesn't, you know, it's it's important to, to do this in university students, but uh, it's also important to uh, start this. You can start this in preschool when a child is four years old, and we have evidence to show that. So um, uh, I think that this is really, really important. Thank you. 
So, well, um, I, I know that uh, in your um, institute, um, uh, your work has uh, been um, always around uh, these issues of social emotional health, but also social emotional education. No? So what's the proposal that you offer in these institutions that can be helpful for the people that are here in this uh, interview? Well, I uh, for uh, college students, I think there are many different options. Uh, I often remind people that one size does not fit all. Uh, and so uh, we need to do a better job at figuring out which strategies are most effective for which kinds of people. But having said that, um, we have, we've articulated a framework for understanding the plasticity of well-being, how well-being can actually be trained. And we've actually put that into a freely available app called the Healthy Minds Program, which is available all over the world. Um, and uh, unfortunately, right now, it's publicly available only in English, but we are very interested, of course, in having it translated into Spanish and other languages. Um, uh, and uh, this program uh, has uh, mini podcasts which present the science around these different pillars of well-being. And it also includes specific mental exercises, simple practices that we can do to help strengthen each of the core elements of well-being. And uh, this is something that uh, for those readers or viewers who might be interested, uh, we would certainly recommend that you explore it. You can try it out. It's totally free. Uh, and so uh, uh, there's essentially no cost in doing that. And uh, if you find it to be valuable, you can uh, use it more extensively. Uh, uh, and you can also, in this app, use a simple measurement tool to assess each of the four components of well-being to see how you're doing, and then to monitor your progress over time. You're talking about four pillars of well-being or components. What are those four pillars? So the four pillars of well-being are these. The first we call awareness which is where mindfulness would be, and also where our capacity to voluntarily regulate our attention would reside. The second pillar of well-being is connection. And connection is about being present with others. It's about the qualities which are important for healthy social relationships, qualities like appreciation and gratitude and kindness and compassion. The third pillar of well-being we call insight. And insight is about self-knowledge. And it's about being curious about how our minds actually work, particularly around the narrative that we all carry around about ourselves. We all have this inner narrative. And part of well-being, an important part of well-being, is not so much changing the narrative, but it's changing our relationship to the narrative so that we can see the narrative for what it is, which is a bunch of thoughts, uh, rather than having the narrative 
hijack us rather than the narrative defining us completely. And so when we can have a little distance from the narrative, it can be enormously beneficial. And finally, the last pillar of well-being, the fourth pillar, is purpose. And purpose is about finding one's um, true sense of direction in life uh, and identifying our core values and then aligning more and more of our everyday behavior around our sense of purpose and around our values. So those mm -hmm. are the four pillars of well-being, and we know that each of these pillars can be trained. Yes, and I imagine that you have measured um, uh, the effects of the use of these uh, tools, this app, in, um, in, in the users. Yes, of course, we've measured that, and um, we have done uh, what is considered the gold standard of research in this kind of area, the randomized controlled trial. Uh, and we've shown in these randomized controlled trials the efficacy of using the app, cultivating these four pillars of well-being on measures of well-being, as well as in decreasing um, various indices of distress. Very interesting. When I when you talk about uh, these uh, four pillars, they seem very profound. No? So uh, awareness, uh, uh, self-regulation of your time, consciousness, connecting uh, with other people, uh, those skills of uh, kindness, compassion, uh, insight, knowing yourself and uh, being able to understand the, the narrative and purpose, finding sense of the direction of your life. There seem like a very profound uh, uh, things that make us human, and uh, and 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 being able to develop those things uh, in a program that is designed for that uh, somehow doesn't seem natural. I don't know if I don't want to be unrespectful, but uh, it doesn't sound like intuitive. Am I am I, am I right? I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, no. The the question is that uh, it's uh, it's incredible. It, more than a question, it's a comment. It sounds incredible that we can develop those things in a in a in a program, and uh, that you can measure that. So uh, it's enlightening. I will I will say that uh, we can do that uh, because those kind of things you never think as a teacher, for instance, uh, that you can teach that uh, easily. No uh, teaching purpose or teaching insight, I think it's complicated to have that on your curriculum. It's, it's unusual to have that on your curriculum. Yes, I think I can understand that. I think in some ways it is unusual, although uh, these are uh, um, capacities which are absolutely essential to our well-being. And uh, the fact that they can be strengthened really comes directly from the science that teaches us that the neural systems, the brain systems that support each of these pillars show plasticity. Uh, and we know that they can be shaped through training, through experience. And so rather than leaving our brains to be shaped by the forces around us, over which we have very little control, like social media, why not 
take the reins and actually um, develop control of our mind ourselves so that we can steer our own mind rather than having our mind bounce around from one uh, kind of source of information to the other. So that's really the invitation in this work. Fascinating. Um, I, I always uh, think that um, uh, the problems of emotional health are still um, the elephant on the room, the things that we don't talk about openly. And I'm, I'm talking uh, on, the, on, the, on the things that are problematic, but also on the development of them. Uh, it's still a, a subject that many people in institutions find difficult to talk about. Yes, I think that's true. Uh, but I think things are changing. I think that uh, there is more and more attraction uh, and uh, ranging from uh, university administrators to healthcare providers to corporate executives to government officials, all across these different um, entities, uh, there is a growing recognition that uh, the trajectory that humanity has been on is not a particularly healthy or sustainable one. And this was before COVID. And COVID has only um, caused things to be worse. And so I think there is a growing recognition that we need to do something uh, because the course that we've been on is not, not a good one. Uh, and so we need to recalibrate. And uh, I see the kind of mental exercise that we're suggesting as part of that recalibration. And, you know, um, we, we've become accustomed to doing physical exercise. I would guess that many people who are viewing this interview uh, do physical exercise in their weekly routine uh, because we recognize that it's good for our um, personal health. Uh, and I'll bet you every one of the viewers brushes their teeth every day. Uh, and this is not part of our genome. We've learned to do this because it's important for our personal physical hygiene. And I also bet that everyone who's viewing this believes that their mind is even more important than their teeth. And yet we don't nourish our mind in the same way but it actually doesn't take that much. It's just simple little exercises. And if you do it every day, it's like brushing your teeth. It will, it will really make a difference. Yes, yes, I, I, I can relate to that. I, I meditate almost daily, daily and I, I recognize also that when the more stress I have around me, the more uh, meditations help me to manage myself around those situations. Yes, that's great. And uh, what about uh, another very important actor of uh, um, the universities, the, the, the teachers? Uh, uh, during the pandemic, we have seen that uh, more teachers are uh, complaining about the workload, uh, all the stress they are having, the things that they have to do. And uh, we have some evidence that there's uh, the teaching profession is a, a profession that is suitable for burnout. And during the COVID pandemic, uh, it has been more stressful for, for them. Um, have you done some uh, research around the work of the teachers uh, and uh, these possibilities of uh, having some tools to help them? 
Uh, we've done research with teachers at the K through 12 level. Uh, and we've also done work with staff uh, at the university level, uh, but not with university professors themselves. Uh, they're, you know, a difficult breed. Um, uh, they typically don't like to be told what to do. Um, uh, uh, and so I think they're a more challenging group, but the teachers in the K through 12 space have greatly benefited from this kind of program. They have been very challenged during the pandemic because um, particularly in the early stages of the pandemic, before the vaccine, they were all home and they were expected to teach virtually. Many of these teachers had their own kids at home because there wasn't regular school. Uh, and that was all very, very challenging. Uh, and so um, we found that uh, training their mind to cultivate well-being was enormously beneficial, even though they did it for just a short amount of time every day. In the research we did, the average amount of time that the teachers spent per day practicing was about five minutes per day, and yet they showed dramatic reductions on measures of distress after practicing for one month. That's um, that's great. So it shows um, uh, what you have said about the plasticity of, of the mind and the and the power of these uh, four pillars that you have uh, shared with us. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Richard, for your time and for sharing with our audience some light on these critical issues that is affecting our students, teachers, and everyone around higher education. So uh, it's very enlightening to know that the, the, this plasticity of the brain can allow us to develop those skills that uh, will help us navigate this uh, mental health pandemic. Uh, we will be putting uh, some resources uh, available to our audience so they can get to your program and know more about these four pillars in your Healthy Minds program app. Thank you so much. Thank you, and we look forward to talking about emotional education with you again. Very good, happy to do that. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast and ife.tech.mx. A special thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey, the Institute for the Future of Education, and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Edutrends producers, Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. Post-production, Alejandro Sánchez. Stay tuned and play Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.